0: So as I, we were worshiping, I was just thinking about how all things are in God's hand and there's nothing outside of, outside of His hand, right? That He upholds us, He sustains us. He's working things according to His plans and purposes. And that He is committed to bringing forth His word and having it established. And this week... Uh, the primary theme that has been on my mind has been uh, having eyes to see and having things that are hidden be revealed. And it started with uh, something that happened this on Monday morning. Um, so I don't know if I've ever experienced this, but you know when your soap gets really small It's really easy to drop, it's really hard to handle, but you always want to, at least I do, I always want to use the last little bit, you know, uh, because I hate to waste soap. Weird, Weird. right? But anyway, (laughs) either that or there's no second bar of soap to reach for. So it's like you do what you can with what you have, right? So anyway, I had this piece of soap that was like just maybe a quarter size, maybe just a little bit less than a quarter. Some of you heard this story earlier in the week. Um, and I hadn't really intended that it was going to be something we were going to share this morning but here we go so I have this little quarter sized piece of soap and I try to put it in my hand and I drop it and I see it start to fall and then it, then I lose sight of it I'm like oh okay well where is this? So I start looking around and it's not on the ground, it's not on the wall, it's not on me and I'm like well maybe it got caught up in the water and washed down the drain you know even though there was no water in this part of the shower. But I'm still like, that's the only explanation I can think of because where did this thing go? So I stand in the shower and I often uh, just take time and just talk to the Lord. And so I was doing that. After a little while, I was like, I really wonder what happened to that soap. You know, so I go back over to the spot and I look all around on the floor, on the wall, on me again. (laughs) I still can't find it. And so, so I'm like, okay, whatever. So I go back. And I'm still just, just kind of thinking, talking to the Lord. And I'm staring at the ground, and it appears. It just appeared on the ground. Like, it wasn't that I looked away and looked back, and there it was. I didn't blink. I'm staring at the floor, and boom, it was there. Okay? So when, when that happened, I was like, I, st- I stood there just staring at it for a while. Because I'm like, okay, that's a white piece of soap on brown tile. And I... No, I mean it's right where it should have been, right? And and it could, didn't fall off the wall or anything. It's like six to eight inches from the wall, anyway. So I stood there just kind of staring, and being, "Okay, Lord, what are you saying in this moment? You know, why, why did I not see it? Why was it, or why was it not there? And why, you know, what is the story?" So I did, again, what started replaying my mind was when I saw the soap fall. It really did disappear, like. It's not like, you know, it was, as it fell, it disappeared. I didn't really realize. I was like, oh, you know, just kind of lost sight of it. And I, I, in that moment, I was thinking about hope that is lost. You know, it's like when, when something falls and you lose sight of it, that can be a sign of, of losing hope. But then, at some point in time, that hope becomes renewed, right? It, becomes, it comes back. And I was thinking also along the lines of things which are hidden being revealed and thinking, too, uh, Heaven made the comment of, well, you know, God is sovereign over time and space. It's like, yeah, he really is, you know. And he's also sovereign over what our eyes see. And, you know, this the story about the soap, right? Okay, so it's not all that, like, uh, impactful that you're going to read about in a book, like with Brother Andrew, who would smuggle Bibles behind the Iron Curtain. Right? He, would, he would take Bibles in his car across the borders and have to go through security. And he would pray. This was, this was his prayer. He would say, Lord, in my luggage I have scripture I want to take to your children. When you were on earth, you made blind eyes see. Now, I pray, make seeing eyes blind. Do not let the guards see those things you, you do not want them to see. And so he would tell stories about how the guards would look for his Bibles. Like they would be out in the open and they wouldn't see him. They would open the trunk, they would look through his things, and all it was was Bibles, and they would let him go because they could not see the Bibles even though they were there. So God, you know, that's the story. That's the cool story about blind eyes, you know, or eyes being blinded. is God hiding the Bibles, not soap. But, you know, (laughs) but the soap gave me an illustration of like, whoa. You know, I, I believed the stories, but now I have a different experience with it, because I know that my eyes have been blinded. I'm sure I've been blinded other times too and just didn't know it, right? But, but now I know I was blinded, okay? but So God can cause what is hidden to be revealed, and he can cause what is revealed to be hidden. And so as I was thinking and processing the whole soap incident, I started thinking about Yeshua and how there were times after his resurrection that his disciples didn't recognize him, even though they were seeing him and talking with him, they weren't recognizing him. And so I started thinking through about his time uh, with the on the road to Emmaus. I was thinking about, man, you know, it'd be really hard to play hide and seek with Yeshua. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, this is funny things that go through your mind, right? And because uh, I, I was thinking about, okay, well, when we when you're kids, you play hide and seek with your friends. When you become adults, you play hide-and-seek with your kids' shoes and your keys, um, but not so much your friends. But anyway, what's that? Speak for yourself. Speak for myself. Okay, so some people still play hide-and-seek with their friends, which is cool. Uh, <laughs> no, but, but anyway, so I was, I was thinking about that and about how Yeshua, with his road to Emmaus, and how he just appeared in rooms and how people would see that, and so then I went, up, I went upstairs, and I sat down, I spent some time in prayer, and I'm like, well, I think I'm going to read the gospel portion this week. And so I opened up the gospel portion, and it's the story of the road to Emmaus. So let's go to the road to Emmaus here in Luke 24, because this is a great story. It's, uh, we, from this story, we got the name Emmaus Road Fellowship. And when we read the story, you'll, you'll, see, you'll see why. So the scripture says, and behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Yeshua himself approached and began traveling with them, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. Notice that it's not that he looked different, their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still looking sad. One of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Yeshua the Nazarene, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word, in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish man and slow of heart, to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he were going farther. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed And breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem, and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. While they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. So here Yeshua, they were, present, they were prevented from seeing him, and then he revealed why the Messiah had to suffer and how he was foretold in all the scriptures. And when they said that he explained the scriptures to them, the word is he opened the scriptures to us causing them to see things that had been a mystery or had been hidden from their sight. Now they were able to see. And the result of having walked with Yeshua, having heard his teaching, hearing of who he was as Messiah, their hearts burned in them, and their ultimate desire was to get up and go right back to Jerusalem to tell everybody what they had seen, right? Right? And ultimately, you know, I mentioned that our, the name of Emmaus Road Fellowship comes from this because that's our desire, right, is to walk on this path with Yeshua, to see him revealed in the scriptures, to have our hearts burn within us so that we will then go and tell others of what we've seen, what we have heard, and what we've experienced through him, the, the change and the hope, right? Because think about that, these guys who are walking on the road, They're walking on the road, and they're talking about their dashed hopes. They're talking about how they had expected Yeshua to be the Messiah who would come and redeem Israel, and how that hope had vanished three days prior. And then, walking alongside them, is there hope? Is there hope? And they can't see him. But he was there with them, explaining, explaining and, and, and preparing them so that at the right time, as they were sitting at the meal, when he blesses God for the bread that comes forth from the earth and he gives it, their eyes were opened and their hope was renewed. They went back and they introduced him and they said, he really is alive. We know the angels had said it, the women had come to tell us that he's alive, but now we've seen him. That's different than having just heard that he's alive. But now we've seen him, right? Hope was restored and renewed because God caused their eyes to be opened, because he caused that which was hidden to be revealed. And God is sovereign, as we said, over, over time and space, and over what we can see, over what is hidden. He's sovereign to raise from the dead, to redeem from death, cleanse from sin, and to give us life forever with him, right? And then within our story from the portion this week, he's even able to take a slave who's in prison one day and elevate him to, over, to being in a position over all of Egypt. So let's turn to Genesis 41, 9 through 16, where we continue our, our study of the life of Joseph. In Genesis 41, verse 9, Pharaoh had a dream, and his, within his dream, he didn't understand it, he was agitated by it, and he called all of his wise men and magicians to come and to hear his dream, but no one could give an accurate or a satisfactory interpretation of what the dream was. And so, at that moment, the Chamberlain of the Cupbearers spoke up before Pharaoh, He says, My transgressions do I mention today. Pharaoh had become incensed at his servants and placed me in the ward of the house of the chamberlain of the butchers, me and the chamberlain of the bakers. We dreamt a dream on the same night. I and he, each one according to the interpretation of his dream, did we dream. And there with us was a Hebrew youth, a slave of the chamberlain of the butchers. We related it to him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. He interpreted for each in accordance with his dream, and it was that just as he interpreted for us, so did it happen. Me he restored to my post, and him he hanged. So Pharaoh sent and summoned Joseph, and they rushed him from the dungeon. He shaved and changed his clothes, and he came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I dreamt a dream, but no one can interpret it. Now I heard it is said of you that you comprehend a dream to interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, That is beyond me. It is God who will respond with Pharaoh's welfare. Within this story, we have a situation where God's hand is upon the entire situation. There were several people involved, right? Pharaoh is involved in the story, the cupbearer, the magicians, and of course, Joseph. Now, Pharaoh has the dream. The dream was given to him by God. He was disturbed by the dream, which was something that the Lord, I think, put before him that he wouldn't forget, that he wouldn't let it go. So Pharaoh calls his cupbearers, or not cupbearers, he calls his magicians and his wise men who are skilled in understanding omens and deciphering these things, and they come, but they aren't able to see what the interpretation is. Now perhaps it's simply because all interpretation belongs to the Lord and the Lord kept it hidden from them, right? But again... They had a part to play in it, but God, was, God held all these things in his hand to bring it about according to his purposes. And then even the cupbearer, at this point in time, two years after having come out of prison, when Joseph said, hey, don't forget me, and the cupbearer forgot him, right? Now it's been two years, and now the cupbearer remembers. I can't help but wonder if God caused the cupbearer to forget and then cause the cupbearer to remember, right? Because when you think about it, Pharaoh had many magicians and dream interpreters and wise men, so if the cupbearer comes up out of prison, just got restored to his post, he comes and says, hey, I met this guy in prison, he's really a smart guy and, and understands dream interpretation, I have to imagine that Pharaoh would have been like, okay, So, no big deal, and then Joseph would be forgotten. But, here at the opportune time, when Pharaoh's faced with this dream that's greatly disturbed him, and he's called all of his wise men and magicians, and none of them can do it, now he's kind of out of options. He's kind of desperate. He's willing to hear, he's willing to hear, hey, there's a Hebrew slave in prison who knows something. He's like, okay, well, what do I have to lose? Bring him up here, (laughs) right? So, God was waiting for the right time, when, when the conditions were right, when Joseph wouldn't be forgotten, but rather it would be worked out according to good for Joseph. So even in this moment, we see that God, being sovereign over the time, and over looking for the right opportunity, changed the course of history for Joseph and for the children of Israel. You know, and, and speaking of you know, Pharaoh the cupbearer and the magicians. They were part of the story, but, but really God was in control, bringing it about according to his plan. Now Joseph, Joseph too, he did his part. Now his part, he had positioned himself as well as he could, right? He had interpreted a dream for the cupbearer and the baker. He had been faithful in the prison, had served well, but all it could do was still leave him sitting in prison totally dependent on God, right? But he had put himself in a position where God would then honor him and raise him up out of the prison and set him on high. It's kind of like us with, uh, with regard to our salvation and walk with the Lord, right? No matter what we do, <laughs> we, we still require the, the ultimate salvation and rescue from God in his right timing. But anyway, God had set everything up so that his timing would be perfect. Tradition has it that Joseph was released from prison on Rosh Hashanah, okay? On the, yeah, on the, on the new year, right? And, you know, as we've talked about before, we expect that Messiah will be crowned as king on Rosh Hashanah, right? It's the day of coronation of the kings, and so when you think about Joseph being raised up at Rosh Hashanah and set over all of Egypt. Now, all of Egypt at that point in time was indicative of the world, right? They were the most powerful nation. And so then we, we know that one day Yeshua will be crowned as king over all the earth. So jo- Joseph was really a picture of Messiah to come. Now... What We spoke about a little, bit, a little bit earlier was that this was two years from the time that Joseph had, uh, or that the cupbearer had been restored. But Sforno, uh, one of the a Jewish commentators, he talks about how every divine salvation comes hastily and unexpectedly, that it's a surprise, and that even the coming of the Messiah will, will come suddenly and hastily, right? At a time we don't expect. Like in the blink of an eye. Is there scripture that goes with that? Yeah. <laughs> He'll come in, in the blink of an eye, right? And we'll be transformed. But that's the thing. It's, it's a, a moment when hope will be fulfilled, when hope will become a new reality, right? In Malachi 3.1, the scripture says, Behold, I'm going to send my angel, and he will pre- prepare the way before me, And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the angel of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. That is a day that hope will be restored in a wholly new manner. But at this point in time in our story, Joseph has hope renewed despite the hardship that he had suffered over the past 13 years. In Genesis 41, 38, let's pick back up there, Joseph has now interpreted the dream for Pharaoh, and Pharaoh has seen the wisdom that was in the interpretation that was given to Joseph. And Pharaoh says to his servants, Could we find another like him, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has informed you of all this, there can be no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and by your command shall all my people be sustained. Only by the throne shall I outrank you. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have placed you in charge of all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh removed his ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. He then had him dressed in garments of fine linen, and he placed a gold chain upon his neck. He also had him ride in his second royal chariot, and they pra- proclaimed before him Avrech. Thus he appointed him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without you no man may lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath Panea, and he gave him Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, chief of on for a wife. Thus Joseph emerged in charge of the land of Egypt. Now Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Joseph left Pharaoh's presence and he passed through the entire land of Egypt. Okay, so here Joseph has been established over all of Egypt. The only thing that was not placed under Joseph is Pharaoh himself and Diego mentioned in the twinkling of an eye just a minute ago, and reading this passage should should call to mind another passage, which I don't have the reference written down here, but Paul writes talking about how God has placed everything under Yeshua's feet except God himself, right? So again, we have the same picture here where Joseph has been elevated and given rulership over all things and submission only to Pharaoh. So now Yeshua has been raised up and all things are being put into subjection under his feet and one day they all will be put in subjection under his feet and he will have, accepting the father who is over Yeshua. But again, he will reign over all the earth and all people will know God. Now, the name that Pharaoh gave to Joseph Zaphanath Panaya. And it means he who explains what is hidden. Which is pretty cool to think about when you think about Joseph was given wisdom and understanding from the Lord, such that he might reveal what had been hidden. And then God also poured out his spirit upon Yeshua, giving him a spirit of wisdom and discernment and understanding. And the John 1, 18 says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten of God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. You know, he has revealed the Father to us. right? Giving us a greater revelation of what is hidden, that we can see the nature and the character of God. So Yeshua is the one who explains what is hidden, just as he did on the road to Emmaus. All right, so now Joseph's fortunes have been restored. Um, I was reading a a commentary from uh, Rabbi Freeman, and it's really fascinating about how God turned back Joseph's suffering. Um, You know, if you go back to the original story, or not to the original story, but you go back to the beginning of the story with Joseph, he was the favored son Right? And then his father sent him off to, to meet his brothers on, a, on really what was a dangerous mission. And when he encountered his brothers, his brothers stripped him of his fine garment that had been given to him, and they threw him into a pit. Right. Now, within the story of what takes place here with Pharaoh, The scripture says that Joseph was called up out of the pit. The the, the word that he uses, that the scripture uses, is not called up out of prison, but called up out of the pit. It's the same word that was used when he was thrown into a pit. Now he's being called up out of that place. And when he's brought up out of that place, he's given new garments. And so you you have a reversal of what had happened to Joseph. He came... Um, and the first half of the story, he was a suffering servant or su- suffering a picture of the su- suffering messiah. On the second part, the reversal happens, and then he becomes the the reigning, a picture of a reigning messiah, right? He would reign over all the earth just as Yeshua came and died and suffered, but then he's resurrected and will be re- reestablished and will reign over all the earth as the Messiah and the King. All right, so a restoration took place at the right time that God orchestrated, right? At no other time, and well, really, there was no way it could happen apart from God. You cannot get a Hebrew slave to become the king of Egypt without the hand of God. And he put all the pieces in place at just the right time such that his purposes will be fulfilled and that the world could be saved through Joseph, through his wisdom of setting aside the surplus of the seven years such that the people of Egypt and really of all the world around would be able to come and still eat even in the midst of a famine that would last for seven years. Okay, so now... The famine comes, and Joseph's brothers and Jacob, they are out of food. And so Jacob sends 10 of his sons to Egypt to buy food. So in Genesis 42, 6, the Scripture says, Joseph, oops, am I in the right spot? Yes. Now, Joseph, he was the, the viceroy over the land. He was the provider to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and they bowed down to him, faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and he recognized them, but he acted like a stranger toward them and spoke with them harshly. He asked them, from where do you come? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. So why were they not able to recognize him, right? Now, if you think about it, When Joseph, when they had last seen Joseph, it was 20, maybe 21, something like that, low 20s of years, right? Because he was 17 at the time that he was sold into slavery, and then he was, we were at least 37 years, he was at least 37 years old at this time, perhaps 38 when they came. So 20 years had gone by, but at the age of 17, you already pretty much look like you're going to look at age 37, maybe a little different, you know. Normally you would say that you're going to have a lot of facial hair by the time you go from 17 to 37. But in Egypt, the practice was to, to shave and keep a clean face, right? So I don't know, maybe Joseph had a beard when he was 17, and now it was shaved, and that helped disguise him. But regardless what it is, now his brothers are before him, but they don't recognize him. And there are various reasons that they wouldn't recognize him. I mean, who would think that someone who was sold into slavery would actually become over all of Egypt? Who would think that, yeah, who would even think that maybe he'd be alive, right? So they didn't recognize him. And perhaps the reason why they didn't recognize him was God wasn't ready for them to recognize him, right? Because if you think about it, they're there with him, There's something, when you see someone's eyes, if you know them well, you know their eyes. Even when they're wearing a mask, you can recognize them. (laughs) I mean, taking off the mask really helps and everything, but um, but you know, you know eyes. And so I have to think they, they could have recognized them, but they didn't. And again, just as God waited for two years to bring Joseph up, here God was waiting. He had other plans in mind for the, for the brothers, and Joseph was playing along with this. There was a greater purpose to the waiting that would need to be fulfilled. And now Joseph, he had his reasons for delaying. See, he wanted to find out what was really in his brother's hearts. You know, what really had happened within the sale, within the throwing him in the pit? Because there is actually discussion over whether or not, well, did his brothers really sell him? Or were they intending to sell him, but another group of people passed by, took him out of the pit and sold him. They came back to the pit and said, where is he? The scripture kind of leaves it open to where it could have been either way. The most common thought is that that his brothers did sell him, but there are, are, again, that minority view that perhaps they didn't sell him but intended to. Um, But now Joseph, he doesn't know all of the story and how things played out but he does know that they had betrayed him and now it's a matter of saying, well, what really is in your heart? So when when he's speaking to them, he accuses them of being spies and puts them all into prison for a three-day period. And then he raises them up on the third day and then he allows them to take provisions to go back home and keeps only Simeon in prison. Kind of as a... Uh, as a surety to make sure that they come back, right? And that when they come back, they would also bring their younger, younger brother, Benjamin. All right, so they, they head out. In Genesis forty three nineteen. okay, so they head out. On their way home, they find that the money that they had used to buy the grain is in their sacks. And, and really, that was not a, a good sign here they, they were looking back and being accused of spies and thrown in prison, they saw it as being God bringing back judgment on them for how they had betrayed their brother. And now they're on their way back home and their money shows up in the bag. You know, some people might say, great, my money's here. But they're thinking, oh my goodness, we just stole from Pharaoh who already thinks that we're spies. This is not a good path. This is not going well for us, right? Right? So they go home and then they find that their money's in all their sacks. It's getting even worse. And now Jacob's mad. You know, he said, you've taken Joseph from me and now you've taken Simeon and yet you, st- you also want to take Benjamin too? No, you can't do it, right? But now they, they eat all of their provisions and the famine is continuing and so they need to go back. They need to go back. And so they, they uh, Judah stands up and says, look, I will be personally responsible for Benjamin's safekeeping, and Jacob allows them to go. And they come back, and they're brought to Joseph's house, which again, had to be alarming, right? Why aren't we gonna meet him at the courts? Why are we going to his house? This seems strange, okay? So when, when they get there, they're concerned this is a up, and they're like, okay, we need to find someone and tell them we didn't really steal. Do it before they throw us in jail again. And that's where we find in Genesis 43:19. they approached the man who was in charge of Joseph's house, and they spoke to him at the entrance of the house, and they said, If you please, my Lord, we had indeed come down originally to buy food. But it happened when we arrived at the inn and opened our sacks that, behold, one's money was in the mouth of his sack. It was our own money in its full amount, so we have brought it back in our hand. We have also brought other money down in our hand to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. And the man replies, peace with you, fear not. Your God and the God of your father has put a hidden treasure in your sacks. Your payment had reached me. And he brought Simeon out to them. That had to be a shock, right? But I love that there was a hidden treasure put in their sack. They didn't know. But Joseph's desire was to put their money back in their sack to give them a treasure. Now, maybe it was to scare them, too. <laughs> I, can't, I can't say exactly what Joseph's motivation was. But still, he was looking out for their welfare, even in the midst of this time of testing. And he put a hidden, a hidden gift, a hidden treasure in their sacks. And now they come back, and they're coming to his house for a banquet, for a banquet. I love that. The wedding supper of the lamb. You know, this is a, a picture of that when the brothers are restored. So, so he comes in, they bring their tribute to Joseph, and then they sit down to a meal with, with, uh, with Joseph. And picking up in verse 30, actually, verse 32 says that they served Joseph separately and them separately, the brothers, and the Egyptians who ate with them separately for the Egyptians could not bear to eat food with the Hebrews, it being loathsome to Egyptians. They were seated before him, the firstborn according to his seniority and the youngest according to his youth. The men looked at one another in astonishment. And they looked at each other in astonishment because somehow Joseph knew the age order of the brothers. That was a mystery to them, but obvious to us, right? And then he had portions set before him that served, you know, oh, I'm sorry. He had portions that had been set before him served to them. And Benjamin's portion was five times as much as the portion of any of them. So they drank and became intoxicated with him. And then the next day, Joseph told them to fill the men's sacks with as much food as they could carry and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack again. And then he put his silver goblet, had his silver goblet put into Benjamin's sack. He put another hidden treasure. (laughs) doesn't sound like a hidden treasure so much at the time that they get overtaken by, uh, by Joseph's servant. But Joseph set them up, put hidden treasures in their sack again, such that he could bring them to a position of really having to, having to determine whether they were going to be on Benjamin's side or against Benjamin, right? Because when, when the brothers left Joseph's presence, there were two things, I, I see two ways they could have been thinking about everything, okay? Here they had come, they were afraid, but now they had gotten to have a meal with Joseph in his house they had an abundance of food and wine and fellowship with them. And they, they leave, and they're leaving with Simeon, and they're leaving with Benjamin. They could have been saying, wow, this couldn't have gone better. This was fantastic. I cannot believe the favor that God just poured out on us, right, as they're, as they're going on the road. Or they could have been saying, why is it that Rachel's children – always get the special favor. First it was Joseph, and now it's, now it's Benjamin. You know, why, why are we the, children's of the children of the unfavored wife or concubines, right? So they, I don't know, they could have had two discussions going on. Now, I, we, t- we, we know that the answer was not that they were saying, well, why is it that Rachel's kids have it? Because we have the benefit of seeing this. But that's two ways that it could have gone. They could have said, great, now we're rid of Benjamin. All the, all the kids of Rachel are gone, and now we can go on our way and be happy. And so that's what Joseph was trying to find out, is which attitude were they going to, to walk away with? One of gladness and um, brotherhood or one of self-interest? Because right? Joseph still didn't know at this time. But what we see is that the brothers don't abandon Benjamin, they go back with him. And they go to Joseph and say, we're ready to be your slaves. Okay. So really, again, this, this goblet that was put in their sacks would have been a thing that totally stole their joy. <laughs> from, they went from one high an incredible low, just got smacked. But then, but, then they, but they did what was right, and they went back and said, we're going to stand with our brother. And within this, Joseph did get to see what their heart was. Now, of course, it's next week when we're, when we're going to see more of the encounter between Joseph and his brothers. But he was doing this all to reveal hearts. In Jeremiah seventeen ten, God says, I, the Lord, search the heart, I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. Right? So just as Joseph was testing his brothers to see where their heart was, God also tests our hearts to see what is hidden, so, such that he may know based on, on what do we do, will we pass the test? In Hebrews four twelve through 13 says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. It's the proof of what's in our heart that's going to be shown in the end. God knows what's in our hearts, but he tests us to see it come forth. Now what's in our hearts, we actually have impact on, because we can affect what is, what is stored up in our hearts based on what we set our eyes upon, based on what we expect and choose to see. You know, um, the eye is the lamp of your body That's so what the scripture says in Luke 11.34 and Matthew 6.22. So what we allow our eyes to see, what we fix our eyes on, is going to, uh, is going to affect us. For example, um, you know, if you think about, uh, like, let's say you're looking for a new car and you really like this one type of car, you're going to start to see that on the road a whole lot, Right? because now you've set your heart on that and your eyes are gonna be fixed on it and you're gonna see it come up everywhere. Um, if you've had a, an encounter with a person that did not go well, the next time you encounter the person, you're likely gonna be looking for a, you know, something to go wrong or, oh, you know what they just said? I bet they meant that to get at me from one side or another, right? We And then, Whether it's true or not, we rationalize it and begin to see it according to what our expectation was. Or if you, for example, if you feel guilty about something and you're kind of hiding it, you don't want anyone to know, somebody has no idea, but they say something that makes you say, oh, they know you're accusing me of this. Now you get all angry. Anyway, what we fix our eyes on is going to impact us. (laughs) It really is going to impact us, and we're going to see what we're looking for. And the question is, what are we training ourselves to see? Are we training ourselves to see good or are we training ourselves to see bad in whatever circumstance it may be you know whether it's relational, whether it's workwise whether it's uh, political, whether it's religious what are we what are, what are we setting our eyes on what are we storing up in our hearts because it will play out you know with the with the idea of Hidden things being revealed and things that are visible being hidden. I couldn't help but think about the story of Elisha in Second Kings 6. You have within this story Elisha and his servant. And the two of them, they see different things. And I think part of it has to do with how, they've, with how they've built themselves up, what they have fixed their eyes on through time, Elisha being one who solely fixed his heart on the Lord. In Second Kings 6.11, now the heart of the king, okay, so what's happening is Elisha, God has been revealing to Elisha what the plans of the king of Aram are. So the king of Aram will say to his people what he's going to do. Elisha will know it, and he will warn the king of Israel such that all the plans of the king of Aram are futile. They're all thwarted. So in verse 11, the heart of the king of Aram was enraged over this thing, and he called his servants and said to them, will you tell me which of us is for the king of Israel? Because he thinks there's a spy within his ranks. Because how else could the king of Israel know everything that he's talking about if it weren't, be, weren't from a traitor within his midst? And one of his servants said, no, "'No, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom.' So he said, "'Go and see where he is, that I may send and take him.' And it was told him, saying, "'Behold, he is in Dothan.' And he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city.' Now when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, "'Strike this people with blindness, I pray.' So he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Then Elisha said to them, "'This is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek.' And he brought them to Samaria. And it came about when they had come into Samaria that Elisha said, "'O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see.' So the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria.'" So in this story, you have three times that eyes were prevented from seeing. Well, okay, you had eyes that couldn't see what was taking place in the spirit. You had eyes that could see what's happening in the physical. You had eyes that were then prevented from seeing the physical, and eyes reopened, right? So once again, God totally in control of what was taking place and working it out for the good of Israel and, and for, his, for his servant Elisha. So, and notice it, it was within this prayer that Elisha, Elisha said, God, give my servant eyes to see. And then Lord, cause seeing eyes to be blind and cause blind eyes to see. And each time it was in, within God's hands to bring about what he desired, to bring about his purposes, which was to deliver the armies of Aram into the hands of Israel without even a shot fired, or not shot fired. How about a sword uh, swung, or an arrow, an arrow fired, there you go, yeah. So, but yeah, so God was working it out according to his will and his purpose. And within it, The hope that Elisha had compared to the hope that his servant had was totally different because he was able to see through a different lens, right? He was able to see with that lens of hope and confidence in the hand of God, in the provision of God, in the protection of God, and in the purposes of God. And because of that, he was able to then pray into existence what needed to happen Bring it about to bring about God's will. So, you know, I don't know what the condition was of Elisha's servant, it doesn't even mean that he was a bad guy, you know, the fact that he wasn't able to see at that moment. But but at that moment, he wasn't able to see. And at times, there are things that we have in our heart that would prevent us from seeing. You know, sometimes I, I talk about movies. Up here. And there's there's a movie that we, I think we watched this past week. It's called The Count of Monte Cristo. I don't know if you've seen that movie, but it's it's a it's a good movie. And uh, within it, well, you, you have the story of one who is sent to prison and then came back up, and he didn't really follow by the whole thing of vengeance is mine, that, that God says he he took vengeance into into his own hands, but he comes back to really Get revenge on the people who had done him under. When he comes back, he looks like the same guy, except he has a goatee. And apparently, the goatee was a good enough disguise to, to fool a lot of people, right? And uh, But anyway, the thing is, uh, having made this, this point, that each person in the story who didn't recognize him didn't recognize him really for a different reason. Uh, there, there was one person who was like a, a judge or, you know, one of the politicians and rulers, he didn't recognize him, likely because he was only concerned with his own affairs. It's like, who is this guy? You know, He, he had an attitude of, I'm more important, a narcissistic attitude. Then there was a, a guy who had really loved the, uh, the protagonist, the Edmund. Edmund's the guy who had gone down and got raised up. So there was a ship owner who really loved Edmund. But when Edmund went to him, the ship owner couldn't recognize him because he'd already given up hope. The person who'd betrayed Edmond, well, why didn't he recognize him? I'm not sure, but it might have been from guilt even over his actions. But then Edmond's fiance, she did recognize him, right? She, she did recognize him, and why? Because she had had love for him, a true connection, and really a hope. A hope that she would one day see him again. And so, within the thoughts of all that, it's like, yeah, what, where we have positioned ourselves in our hearts and what we've placed before our eyes, what we've set our hope on is going to affect what we see. So the question is, what remains in us that would keep us from seeing God or keep us from recognizing our Messiah when he returns? Because we all want eyes to see. We all want eyes to recognize him. And so in the meantime, while we're waiting for his return, the, que- the question is what are we doing to prepare our hearts such that we will have the eyes to see? Are we actually walking in a way that will affirm to God what's in our heart, that our love for him is in our hearts? And what do we set aside such that we will be fully prepared as a bride looking for our Messiah. Recognizing our Messiah when he suddenly comes upon and we see that hope go from being lost and not, and not seen in the physical to being seen in the physical. Because that'll be a whole different level of hope. A whole different level of joy. And right now we see well, we're waiting for Yeshua, right? And, and the days are, are growing on. We're te- it seems like his return is tarrying, right? How long, O oh Lord, will we have to wait until we see you? But our hope is in him. We know that God's timing is perfect. That even when we see chaos in the world, we know that it's all part of God bringing the pieces into alignment. You know, when God wants a people to repent, he does bring difficulty upon them, right? The judgments of the Lord come for the purpose of turning a people back to Him, of taking them out of their comfort zone and saying, okay, are you, gonna, are you going to wake up? Are you going to put your eyes on me? And within it all, just as Joseph, just as Yeshua, just as Elisha, all these stories we have We can stand firm knowing that it's all within God's hand. That he's behind the scenes, even when it's hidden, working and getting ready to reveal that which is hidden so that we can know his mysteries and see his goodness. So that's our encouragement today. And our hope is that, and our prayer really, is that God will open our eyes to see, to see what he's doing, to have that which is hidden revealed, to have hope restored. Go ahead.
1: I just think that we should pray that the church would have its eyes opened um, to the hope of what God's doing in the world today um, and what he's going to do in the future, that we wouldn't, that we wouldn't be afraid because of that. And also that the peop- there are people who have set their, um, their heart on being his enemy. And we, we can pray just like in the story of Elisha, that their eyes would be blinded um, to the to really the impending doom, you know, like the, them being in trouble, and and so that the purpose of that would be that we a lot of uh, damage to people, uh, like a lot of death and destruction could be averted. Yeah, so I just want to pray that real quick, um, Father, um, we thank you that. Um, you are in charge of how people see, um, and and you um, you help you help us to see when we sub- submit our hearts to you in, in humility. And I pray that all of your church, all of Emmaus Road, and all of your churches as, as a whole would humble themselves before you. That um, everything. That the, the the posture of their heart wouldn't be driven by, you know, what they see on a screen. You know that they it would be driven by, by your word and what your Holy Spirit is saying to them, um, and what and what you you've declared. Um, and Father, we pray that um, in this moment in our nation and in the in the world, we that the people who have um, set their hearts against you. Would be blinded, um, that they wouldn't be able to see um, their impending doom, so that the, the leadership and and those who have taken part and done um, actions that are wrong and that are that, are in order to cause harm to your um, your church, your and those who love you, and um, to other people and to enslave them, Lord Jesus, we pray that they would be blinded, so that they could be um, take dealt with in a way that um, you know, minimizes the, the loss of life and the destruction to um, our, our nations, that, that you, would, um, you would do that so that your, your gospel could go forth unhindered um, and more and more people will be brought into your kingdom. And I pray this that, so that you would receive all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. Yeah, as, you're, as you were praying, I uh, just started to think about the story of Elisha again. Because when you think about that story, Elisha's surrounded by an army, and it looks as though everything in the physical says that he's doomed, right? And when you look at uh, the world, we know that there are trials, there are tribulations. We know that there are, Uh, wicked people working schemes, right? And we can look at their armies and say, how could uh, anything good ever come out of this, right? But the truth is that God also has an army, and that's what Brett's praying for right there, is for uh, not only God's army in the spiritual, but God's army in the physical to arise, to pray, to have eyes to see what God is doing, and to be, warring in the spirit for God's purposes to overcome. Because in the midst of trial, in the end of days, there is still there is also revival and righteousness taking place as well. It's not just one or the other. And the question is, what, what are we going to fix our eyes on? What are we going to see? And what are we going to press into? We'll press into our hope that God is able to do anything the impossible, even blinding, as Brett was saying, the eyes of the enemy, or those who are opposed to him, such that they will be caught in their own traps, without any kind of uh, a war in the physical even to take place. Right?
2: Amen. So, when you when you were talking about hope and not being able to see and being able to see. Um, I recall uh, in, in Deuteronomy when, when God is speaking with his people and he says, When you were in the wilderness, you survived. You, you, didn't, you probably didn't see, but your shoes didn't wear out. Yay. Mm-hmm. And I provided food for you that you probably took for granted. But all of this was to yeah. test you to see if you really love me. Mm-hmm we are now living in a time where there might be a lot of loss of hope, as you were saying. This is a test. And the master said, blessed are those who trust and do not see. Mm -hmm. So we don't see a lot of reason for hope, maybe. But perhaps this is a test, right, for us to trust him anyway. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Right. Absolutely. Amen. I think that is a a really important point, is that no matter what lies ahead, our hope and our trust remains in God alone because it's all in his hand. It's all in his hand. And and he, he can orchestrate. So everyone keeps saying our
1: hope, our hope, our hope.
0: The Hebrew for that, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it's Tikvatenu, which is really cool, and there's a really fun dance, so come see me after if you want to learn that. Um, but also,
1: this morning we were watching Shabbat cartoons, which is a thing on YouTube by Pimpam. And the one we talked about, or that was talking about, was Hakarat Tatov, and it's to see the
2: good. And that's like something that I want to take with me as I work with three-year-olds <laughs> <laughs> every
0: day. Hakarat hato to see the good, because mm-hmm. yes, we're blinded to. It's so easy to focus on the bad. Like, why are you doing this? Like, what are you doing? But hakarat hato, we want to see the good because it's there. Yeah. So that's that's my prayer every morning from now on. So. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, if we if we are keeping our eyes on the good, you know, we're going to be a lot more joyous. I mean, I'd much rather think about happy things than than. Uh, <laughs> Now, I'm not going to de- deny the things that I see that aren't good, but it's like, well, let's focus on that which is good and the hope that is within us. Yeah. So, so you were,
3: the, the story of Joseph, one of my favorite, especially in, in this time because it, it reveals so much of what is going on today. But in the end, there will be reconciliation. Mm-hmm. And that is the greater good. And that is the work of Messiah, that even though Joseph was hidden, he was still working in behalf of his people. The people live and survive because of Joseph. Right. You know, and that is what the Messiah has been doing for thousands of years, for hundreds of years from the time he, he came walk on earth to this day. And it's all his work. Uh, so the circumstances that we are, it's the, it's the clue that shows us that he is very near. We are in this process where uh, Joseph, It's bringing back his brother, where the Messiah is bringing back his brother, and he's judging Egypt, because now we're going to read that in the next week's of portion, where It says that another pharaoh rose up who did not know Joseph, and we're about to, Lord willing, things change, but we see this new president coming in who has no really uh, indication of being a Joseph, as Trump was a Joseph to... The United States in the United States and things start going down but that is when the light shows up you know that's when redemption comes that's when judgment comes down in against the wicked not against these people but against the wicked the wicked suffer during the time of judgment not the righteous and in all the situation that we are here as a nation is it, revealed in the Torah portion and there is a big picture there is something greater coming and that is our eye, what we set our eyes to, so uh,
1: yeah
0: we,
3: you know we talked about the bad things right and, and how we focus on oh we can we have to pray for judgment to be pushed away because we're thinking that we're, we're gonna be persecuted with a fork and you know and it's like no it's like because there is a greater picture and that the righteous will be protected and then the wicked will be exposed and have to pay to, for their consequence for what they did um, yeah oh yeah that's. Yeah.
0: Yeah, whatever it is, you know, whatever path it is, yeah, you maintain hope that God will provide for the righteous and he will judge the wicked because that's what he does in the end, even though there's times that it is out of balance. But yeah, our hope is in in the good that will come regardless of what difficulty comes. So, Lord, we love you and bless you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that we can trust you no matter what lies ahead. Lord, we do cry out for uh, justice and righteousness. We, we cry out for Messiah to come. Lord, we ask that uh, you would give us eyes to see, that you would help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, um, to partner with you, to have hearts that are turned toward you, and, and that our hands and feet would carry out your plans and your purposes. Lord, we give you thanks and glory that you are the one who holds everything in the palm of your hand and who uh, opens eyes to see and even causes seeing eyes not to see when it fits your purposes, Lord. We give you glory and thanks in the name of Yeshua, amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood,
2: Texas.